0: So we're going to talk about parenting your adult children next. And that's going to be what's in this book. You never stop being a parent. And I actually had a fun experience recently related to that, but let me pray. Father in heaven, thank you for these dear brothers and sisters. I pray, Lord, that you would help us this afternoon after a good lunch to be alert. To be encouraged by your word and the wisdom it has for all of life. Help me to be faithful and effective in declaring what you've taught me. And we pray, Lord, that we would honor you as we deal with the situations we face both in counseling and in our own lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, the way the book got its title was actually back at Grace Bible Church in Escondido. Uh, where I was for many years as a preacher. Um, I gave some series on the family like 30 years ago. And at the end, I said, well, when your children are grown and they're out of the house, then your parenting job is done. <laughs> Nobody laughed. We were young then. <clears throat> and there's an older gentleman who now I realize is about the age I am now, was at the time, and he came up to me and said, put his arm around me and said, Jim... You never stop being a parent. And I actually tell this story in the book, that's where I got the title, but I tell the story in the introduction. Well, Elmer, who's now in his 90s, uh, drove his truck from Idaho and came and saw me like 10 days ago. And he didn't know he was in the book. I, showed, I gave him a copy, I showed him his name in the introduction where I got the title I don't know why I never told him but uh, because he was in our church for a while after the book came out so and but I remember back then thinking what Elmer said and at that time he had uh, a son and daughter-in-law were experiencing some challenges and they were living right next to him and he actually he's in California had his son in North Carolina had a like a business where he was doing some kind of manual labor and the son injured himself and couldn't work and Elmer flew out here out to North Carolina for months and kind of ran the business till the sun got better, and I realized, yeah, a lot of his life seems to be taken up with these adult kids. I guess you don't ever finish. And as I thought about it, and I, I also was having counseling cases that were coming along again, and the the common two most common situations would be that they again sometimes it goes along with the homeschool thing is that or we gave our daughter a promise wing when, when she was 12 and now she's about to marry a guy we don't like and you know when matters of romance when our children marry someone we're not excited about the other issue that kept coming up was and actually I've got one going on right now where a guy's about 30 years old living with his parents sleeping all day you know doing nothing with his life and the parents are tolerating this and uh, there have been articles written, I'll, I'll refer some of them, it's a cultural phenomenon. Interestingly enough, I've had the privilege of going to several countries and I've been asked to talk about this, and I'll be in the Philippines or Colombia or China or wherever, and people say, yeah, that's happening here too. We've got a bunch of people in our group who have adult kids living at home and aren't moving ahead in life. And is. I believe that part of believing in the sufficiency of scripture is that just because nobody's written a book about something doesn't mean the Bible doesn't speak to it. And so being convinced of the sufficiency of scripture, studying the scriptures, and this is also a lot of what happens in counseling, something you've not thought about too much until either you have the problem or somebody else has the problem. Well, I need to search the scriptures in terms of how do we address these issues. And I am completely satisfied that the Bible does. Address these issues. And actually, one thing that kind of surprised me was a lot of the incidents of parenting recorded in the Bible aren't with small children, they're with young adults, like Eli and David, and, and there are a few others as well. And so the, the Lord does speak um, into our lives in these situations. And then, as I think about back in the old days when they had Christian bookstores, or when you go back to that bookstore, yeah, there'd be a lot of books about parenting little kids. I mean, when you first get pregnant, man, you start buying books and reading books and then you're starting to educate them and you know, you're very high demand. There are far fewer books about parenting teenagers. There are some. I mentioned Age of Opportunity and fewer about Rebellion. There's another guy that's written some good books in addition to what I did with Elise. And, but when it came to parenting adult kids, I couldn't find anything from a Christian viewpoint. Addressing these issues, and so that that was kind of a, a motivating factor for me. Uh, actually, it was in terms of you never stop being a parent, there was an article back when people read newspapers in our local newspaper in Escondido about a lady that had her 105th birthday, and the article says she remains extremely close to her kids who are 74 and 75. She said, "Well, they aren't kids. they, they aren't kids anymore, but they still are to me." she said. And I've mentioned already, I have children who are 35, 38, and 41, and parenting is still going on. I've been texting my son who went to the soccer game in England. His team lost. Um, We're engaged. So I'm going to talk about, you know, what do we do to prepare our children for adulthood? And then what do we do with some of the most difficult situations I already mentioned? I'm going to save the latest LGBTQ things for the last talk. Uh, so there'll be plenty here anyway. So part of what parents need to realize, and this is the thing we should be thinking of as soon as we know we're expecting our first child, is that parenting in some senses is a temporary relationship and that you're given this child and one day they're going to leave. You know, Marriage is meant to be until death parts you. But you know, your child may be you know, leave father and mother to be joined to their wife, or they become adults and they move on. So, the goal of parenting is to get them ready for that. And uh, my little short commentary on Proverbs is trying to summarize, topically, you know, what God is saying about how do you prepare your children for adult life, and it's. We can use the church and schools and tutors and books, but ultimately we have that responsibility. Proverbs begins by, listen to your father, listen to your mother in chapter 1. And that's where teaching them is so important because one day they're going to be making choices you have no control over. And I think Christians sometimes have the hardest time Acknowledging the adulthood of their kids because we're the most committed to our kids. And when other people just kind of find she's 15, let her do whatever you want. No, man, we're going to stay on top of this situation. And it's hard to lose control because, I mean, when you have a baby, you have a great deal of control. You, can, you can't make them sleep necessarily, but you can, as they get older, you decide when they go to bed and what they can eat and who they can be with. And, and, and then the rest of their growing up, ideally you're gradually losing control as they become more and more independent and a lot of parents have a hard time relating to their children as they become adults and it's not something that happens when they're 18 or 21 or 30 or whatever it's something that happens gradually and when when we already read in Ephesians 6 don't provoke your children to anger or Colossians don't exasperate them I can see that a lot of parents of adult kids are guilty of provoking their children or tempting their children to anger and exasperation because we treat our children as if they were younger than they are and as if we have more control than we do. Um, And it's kind of funny because if you're in church and you see a 17-year-old, you might have a conversation with somebody else's 17-year-old as someone who's about an adult and you're relating on that level. But when you look at your 17-year-old, you know that he still doesn't make his bed and whatever. And you remember changing his diapers. And it's much harder to begin to relate to them in that way. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 5 talks about how the, the thoughts of a person are like a deep well. And it takes a man of understanding to draw it out. And to move in a relationship away from control towards, now you're really moving towards wanting to have influence in their life. The peacemaker talk, people talk about having passport. You know, if you're going to leave the country, you've got to have a passport to get, or a visa to get into the next country. And your children would be an age where they don't have to listen to you anymore. And one of the sad problems many are facing is how many people we know who their adult kids aren't talking to them anymore. Sometimes it's the other way around. It's not always your fault. But um, we did, when we wrote the book, I did some surveys of both parents of adult kids and adult kids and like, what can your parents do better? And one thing that came through with the adult kids was my parents, and usually it's the mother, nag me all the time. And one of the lines we used in the book is that if your young adult already knows what you're about to say, the problem you have is not ignorance. <laughs> the, the problem is they know what you think and they don't believe it or they don't want to do it. And repetition is not going to solve this problem. I think especially some mothers, they spend all day thinking of some new way to say what they've already said 20 times this week, and it just, it will drive them away. So, anyway, if you already, if they already know what you think, sometimes, usually, it's not much to be done. The other thing I've already talked about, too, is affirmation. It's easy. I mean, we're really troubled by what we see in our adult kids we don't like. We're really troubled that they're not making progress through life and they're not making the grades or, you know, they know. But again, they know you think that, okay? You've, you've done a good job of communicating your problems with them. Looking for things to affirm and encourage takes a lot of effort. And that's, I think, also really important. And then, you know, so what do you do to make your children ready to live on their own? Proverbs is a manual for that. You know, it begins with the fear of the Lord, learning to live for God and for His glory. It, the second greatest commandment, also to love others ahead of yourself. Um, you know, Proverbs has a lot on vac- vocation. Actually, a couple of my books they have in there, for which I will make virtually no profit, uh, are on finances, too. And a lot of that's out of Proverbs and the wisdom of Scripture about the, the secret to success in life in Proverbs is work hard and work smart. The hand of the diligent makes rich. That's work hard, work smart. Do you see a man skilled in his work, he will stand before kings. He won't serve ordinary men. Meaning, if you become a doctor, you're going to make 20 times more per hour than you would if you keep working at Chick-fil-A. And so gain skill. Work hard, work smart. Uh, Teach them the folly of debt and uh, the wisdom of saving, the folly of get-rich-quick schemes. The wisdom, so much of Proverbs, is wisdom about sex and relationships. Proverbs 31, it's a mother telling her son, here's the kind of wife you need to choose. Uh, you could flip that for husband as well. But then also the warnings about the adulteress. Don't go near her door. It's a fully honest that illicit sex is extremely exciting. And you're at a stage of life where you're really drawn to it. But it's going to destroy you. And so you know, Proverbs gives you wisdom. So you know, choosing your companions. The companion of fools suffers harm. Don't go with drunkards And and gluttons, or you'll become like them, or angry people. Um, Al Mohler wrote an article sometime back called From Boy to Man, the Marks of Manhood, and I think I've listed, he had like 13 marks of when a man is a man and ready to go with all different categories of spiritual, personal, economic, physical maturity. Um, That's all great, right? It's the ideal. But a lot of children are leaving home too soon. And when I do the PowerPoint, I have a picture of like a five-year-old with a little sack over his back running away from home. Um, but uh, there are a couple problems. One problem is that there are some children who are in godly homes and they don't want to be under the restrictions of the godly home anymore. And so they buzz out. And that's very sad. And yet we can't stop that. And that may be what we have to do. Um, and sometimes they want complete freedom before they're ready, before they are mature. The, 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 the cake isn't done yet, but take it out of the oven. Ironically, of course, we were living in San Diego. What does a young man do if he doesn't want his parents bossing him around anymore? He joins the Marines. <laughs> and what does the young woman do? Marries the Marine. We've also seen cases where young adults leave home too soon because they're escaping a really difficult home situation. I've seen, again, I can think of a case of a family with an extremely dominant, angry, immature father um, who had all the characteristics of, some call it hyperheadship, where rather than being a servant leader in his home, he was the Lord and Master. And I watched his kids as they came into their late teens and they all found various ways of escaping. And I think, in the sense, I don't blame them. I actually run into one or two of them since then. Some have been abused and other awful situations. Now, one of the most important questions to address, and we address it in the book, is what authority does a parent have over an adult child? And I can remember when I was 15 years old going to my first Bill Gothard seminar, you know, book authored essentially said that as long as you're single, you're under the absolute authority of your parents. He had this extremely, you know, chain of command power thing. And he tells a story of some guy who's, whatever, been an adult a long time, and his mother tells him what to do, and he does it. And, you know, the Bible does say children obey your parents, but even the word for children is like children. <laughs> it's It's not adult children. It's young ones. Uh, now And so a couple things going on. I mean, it's obvious Genesis 2.24, most would acknowledge, even on the Gothard website, you leave father and mother when you get married and you form a new family. Now, I also know of many situations where that supposedly should have happened, but one set of parents still thinks they're dominating. They still become dominating and controlling with their young adult married kid. Um, but I think even with adult children, the Bible says they come to an age when they're responsible for their choices. You know, Paul talks in First Corinthians 13 about the difference, you know, when I was a child, I spoke as a child, I became a man, change happens. Uh, a couple passages that I think make it very plain, illust- illustrating the point, point. one would be John chapter 9, and this is a story of the man born blind. And after the man is healed, the Jews first go to his parents. In verse uh, 18 and following, it says they did not believe that the man had been healed. So it says they, verse 19, they questioned the parents and said, Is this your son whom you say was born blind? Then how does he now see? And his parents answered them and said, We know now this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know. Who opened his eyes? We do not know. Ask him. He is of age. And so I'm assuming culture, that wasn't some shocking statement. I'm assuming that's just the way everybody knew things work. Um, Another example you can find is in Numbers 32. I'm not going to go through it, but I'll give you the context and quote the verse. In Numbers 32, the the 12 spies have gone into the land sent by Moses and uh, ten come back and say, those guys are too big. We should you know, give up, go back to Egypt. It's hopeless. And then Joshua and Caleb say, trust God, we're going to win. Okay, let's say you're 22 years old, still living in the tent next to your parents. You're single. And you have to decide, am I going to go with the ten spies? Or am I going to go with Joshua and Caleb? And my parents are saying, man, we're with the ten spies. What do you do? Well, in, in Numbers 32, um, the Lord declares in verse 11, None of the men who came out from Egypt, from twenty years old and upward, shall see the land which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, for they did not follow me fully. The judgment is all of those who were adults, who did not choose correctly, are going to die in the wilderness. And you, you can't use the excuse, well, my parents... Another example I would give, a couple other examples I would give, would be in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul talks about people who choose not to be married. And the question would be, what is your life to be? And in verse 32, he talks about, I want you to be free from concern. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how we may please the Lord. And then the one who's married has to please his spouse. Point being, he didn't say the one who is unmarried just lives with his parents and pleases them. The idea was if you're single and you choose to be single, it's not that now you're just, you know, doing for your parents what you might have done for a spouse, but rather that frees you up completely to serve the Lord. So I've had a couple real situations. We had a situation many years ago, more than 20 years ago. I'll call the guy Jorge. And Jorge was in his early 40s. And he was a member of our church. His mother was not. But what had happened is that his father, many years before, divorced his mother. His other brother had gotten married and left home. So Jorge was with his mother. And Jorge came to me because he was in a dilemma, because he was in love and wanted to marry, but his mother forbade him. And she used the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother, children obey your parents, absolutely putting her foot down, you cannot marry this woman. And he brought later, after we talked about it, he brought this woman to meet me. And they'd been actually seeing each other. By the way, essentially he's defying his mother by continuing to see her. The mother hated the girl. But um, they'd continued to see each other, but they were afraid to get married or even tell the mother he was sneaking around and seeing the girl. Now, as I got into this girl, she was a wonderful, godly woman. The only thing wrong with her in my mind was why is she putting up with Jorge? <laughs> um, but I sought to show Jorge from Scripture that as an adult, that was a choice for him to make. His, he no longer was bound to obey his mother. And actually at the wedding, we had like bouncers stay, kind of like you've like got the police officer here. We had people, not armed, but ready if Jorge's mother came in to disturb the wedding. Um, I may have more examples like that later. So, parent, when our children become adults, we no longer have control. There's a relationship of honor and respect, but not control. However, next category, if your child is still living under your roof, you have the right to have expectations. And it was now several years ago, many years ago, there was an article in Time magazine about what they labeled as Twixters. And that was kind of between adolescence and adulthood, or adultolescence, some have called it. And, and the idea you have this new generation, they said, essentially in their 20s, maybe into their 30s, who put off the responsibilities of adulthood, uh, delaying marriage, delaying vocational decisions. And it is also reported as a worldwide phenomenon. Some have called it the Peter Pan syndrome. I don't want to grow up. Uh, the British have a name, Kippers. Kids in parents' pockets eroding retirement savings. <laughs> uh There's a name in German, nest squatter, and uh Australians call them boomerang kids. You throw them out and they keep coming back. <clears throat> but there's a, and this is something that's come up many times in my counseling and sometimes in church. Um I'm dealing with a situation right now with the family, with the kid in his late 20s. Who lives at home and is doing nothing, and his parents are paying for everything, and I met with him, I've met with the parents, it's it's really tough. But the problem is they want all the freedom of adulthood without the responsibilities that come with it. Um, And if the parents try to expect anything, well, I'm an adult, I'm not a child anymore, you shouldn't be telling me what to do. And often parents are complicit because they enable um, free room, free board, car, phone, whatever else they're supplying. And, you know, sometimes, quite frankly, just free room, electricity, board, and food, you can buy a really nice smartphone and other, do travel, everything else, because your parents are paying for the necessities. If you're, you know, slinging coffee at Starbucks 20 hours a week. So... There are valid. I don't want you to go home and kick out all your kids necessarily. There can be valid reasons for a child to be at home. Maybe your child is working on education and they save money by living at home. They're, you know, they may choose, you know, you have a daughter who's graduated and she's working full-time, but uh, she wants to save money. She enjoys being under the care and protection of her family. They're both happy with that. Uh, yeah, that's fine. Or a son. Uh, their young family, actually... Three million children with disabilities living with parents, and I know many of those cases where they're not capable of living independently. Um, sometimes children live with aged or dis- disabled parents. Um, there also can be extraordinary circumstances where husband goes off to war and or go off to military service is not war, and the wife chooses to stay with her parents while he's away, or he dies. And she's a widow with children. So, I mean, or I in other cases would be you're, she's been abandoned by an unbelieving, immoral spouse. And so there can be extraordinary circumstances, but there should be a purpose. There should be a goal. The plans of the diligent lead to advantage. He hasty comes to poverty, Proverbs 21. And usually there should be a plan for the end, but there should be a reason. And with young people, again, the, the problem of... Uh, postponing adulthood, and there are statistics for this, but more and more people, and I remember when I was in Southern California, actually leaving Texas, I think Southern California seemed to be worse about this. We just had people, they liked the beach, and they liked surfing and the lifestyle there, and so, you know, they're, they're taking, a, they, they call themselves college students, but they like sign up for two courses, they drop one of them, they work part-time, singing, whatever, and they surf, and they hang out with their friends, and they live with their parents. And, you know, that's kind of funny. The the uh, the junior college, community college near us, their slogan was education for life. I said, that's exactly right. It's a life sentence. <laughs> 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 People are there forever, and they never even get their uh, two-year degree, associate's degree. And so, you know, it's just a, a different thing where, I mean, it's, you're really old when you say, when I was... That, But, I mean, you know, my idea was I went to college young. I got through quickly. I wanted to get married and get a job and have kids and be an adult. And there are still people like that. Actually, our church has a bunch. I call them anti-millennials. <laughs> that they're great, but there's so many now. And they're, they're in their 30s, and they haven't learned to make enough money to live on their own. Um, and they expect others to meet their financial needs. I think in 2 Thessalonians 3, it talks about busy who live off of others in the church. And the Bible says, if you will not work, neither shall you eat. Um, the parents keep the consequences away. The proverb says, a worker's appetite works for him, and his hunger urges him on. But if you can work 20 hours a week in a low-paying job and you get to live an upper-middle-class lifestyle with all the benefits of living in a 3,000-square-foot home with all the amenities, what's going to motivate you to get out of that situation? Um, And then part of the financial responsibility, and actually the article in Time Magazine talked about this, one is they get into debt. I was amazed that a single person could be many tens of thousands, even $100,000 in debt, not having ever had a real career job. Um, So... That's foolishness. But also, as I mentioned, a marketing consultant said mom and dad are subsidizing them, so they have all this disposable income. They're not paying for electricity and a lot of these other things, and so they can go on trips and and other such uh, privileges. Um, And then instead of marrying, um, they're finding sexual gratification elsewhere. Uh, the percentage, the great majority, I think there's statistics for these things. I haven't written down all of them, but the most people when they get married now have already been living together or shacking up before they get married. And so, you know, Dobson used to talk about this, is one of the things that motivates people to get married is there's nowhere else you're going to get the intimacy that marriage provides. And if you're getting that relationally, but then there are statistics, I think Kiplinger Financial Magazine talked about married men... Make at least 25 percent more than single men. Taking on that responsibility helps people to mature. And so, uh, you know, people when when I was young, people were getting married in their early 20s typically. Now the statistic is early 30s, and it's not that they're waiting to have sex until they're in their early 30s. And even more recently, the more dis- I mean, is now you've got articles being written about all these young men. And they're not even looking for a woman. They're just using pornography. And um, I actually had someone... I've had a couple cases now of men who were so steeped in pornography professing Christian men where when they got married, the normal function of marriage didn't work. It's called porn-induced erectile dysfunction. And you have many more who, again... Quite frankly, porn is a lot less complicated than actually having to marry somebody and have a relationship and everything that God has designed to go along with that. And so uh, a lot of young men living at home looking at porn, not even looking for a girlfriend. And again, parents have some responsibility. Some don't even, I mean, they want their kids to stay. Some marriages are held together by the kids. There Actually, I've seen some divorces that happen when the last kid moves out. Uh, The wife does too. Um, if there hasn't been a strong marriage there. But then often parents finance bad behavior, bail them out of trouble. Young adults are outstandingly skilled at making their problem your problem. And I've, I've got specific examples where I've been, I've been asked to be in Sally's wedding and it's in Las Vegas in two weeks and I've got to buy a dress and da 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 and the dad is saying, But I gave you all this other money, where did it go? Oh well, well I went to movies and da you know And, well, I need more, and you don't want me to miss the wedding. And, well, if you'd have been wise with the money you had, you wouldn't be there. But, of course, Dad forks out. uh, You know, getting in trouble with the police, bailing them out of bad debt. Um, They're circumventing the very responsibilities that God has designed for irresponsible behavior. Poor is he who works with a negligent hand, the proverb says. Do not love sleep, or you'll become poor, the proverb says. And... A verse that we'll deal with both in this talk and the next talk, it's really profound, is in 1 Samuel 2.29. And interesting that as I grew up, the the prime example in Scripture of failed parenting is Eli. And his sons, you know, in 1 Samuel 2 is describing, these are adult sons. This, This isn't little kids that Eli's failing with. And they were, you know, Eli was in a priestly role and his sons were serving in the holy, there wasn't a temple yet, but in whatever holy place. But they were blasphemously like taking the sacrifices for themselves and not following the biblical protocol for offering the sacrifices. And they were committing immorality with the women who were serving there. And, and so in 1 Samuel 2, Eli hears about it. Verse 22, Eli was old, he heard all his sons were doing in Israel, how they lay with the women who served in the doorway that attended the meeting, and there's other stuff. (laughs) And, And Eli says to them, why do you do these things, the evil things? I hear from all the people, no, my sons, the report is not good, which I hear the Lord's people circulating. And so let me summarize. Eli nags, but he doesn't do anything, okay? It's not that he didn't say anything, he didn't do anything. And it is so typical of what parents of adult kids do. Why are you? It it upsets me so much to see you sleeping in till three in the afternoon, staying up all night and not getting a job and not finishing school. And, you know, they're talking, but there's no result. There's no consequence. And in verse 29, it gets to the heart of the matter. And again, it'll apply in the next talk as well. A prophet comes and pronounces judgment on Eli for his failure to uphold the Lord's honor in his family, says, Why do you kick at my sacrifice and my offering which I've commanded in my dwelling and honor your sons above me? I think that is the great temptation of parents with their adult children is to please their children rather than to please God. You don't want the conflict to tell them to leave or to enforce consequences. And you whine, but we don't act. And we can, it can be fear. Well, if I kick her out, she'll just go find a bad boyfriend and live with him. Or they'll do drugs. And, you know, they have those threats. And again, I'll speak from personal experience. If I have a single child, there's a lot I could do that becomes very hard when they have children. And I have grandchildren. And when they get in trouble uh, financially or whatever, what do I do? And it's it's not always easy. Um, even when things are good, it can be challenging to have adult children live with you just because you're both adjusting to new roles. You have to learn uh, to give him more room. He has to learn that if he's in your house, he has to live by your rules, just like if he lived with anybody else, by the way, right? I mean, if you have a roommate and you leave a mess and eat his stuff, you're going to have problems. Um, And then, you know, as parents, sometimes we have to take steps. Again, not everybody has a bad situation, but if the situation is not good, there have to be expectations. If things are going well, be thankful to God, follow the principles, you're good. But if things aren't going well, that's where, like, there can be a written contract of just saying, to live here, you must prove that you're working as hard as the people, other adults who live here. And how many hours, like, do you typically work if you have adult kids at home? You say 40 hours. Well, actually, 40 hours plus commutes, 40 hours plus laundry, lawn, lawn, taking care of the home, 50 hours. Maybe that's a low number. But just if you're going to live here, you have to be productive for 50 hours a week. And that productivity can be school, charity work, a job. We can agree on what it is. But you can't be lazy and live here. You want to be an adult? Act like an adult. And if you make the decision not to follow the agreement, I'm not kicking you out. You've decided to leave. I've told you, you can stand to these conditions. If you choose not to meet the conditions, your choices have made it necessary for you to leave. Easier said than done, but I think that's sometimes what we have to do. Um, so we have to expect them, you know, to pay for their own stuff. And again, another ploy, okay, I can't afford my insurance, Mom, my car insurance. And if I don't have car insurance, I can't drive my car. And if I can't drive my car, I can't go to work and can't go to school. Therefore, you must pay my insurance. It becomes your problem. Otherwise, I'll just stay at home all day. I didn't say it was easy. Um, I had a situation with one of my sons that uh, after he was done with college and was not productive, and I actually made a deal. Like, you need to show me 50 hours a week you're doing something productive. And this is a son who had money and was making money. Um, You can't take money away from someone who has no money, but he did. Just saying, you know, you're going to give me whatever it was, $10 an hour for every hour below 40 or 50 or whatever we agreed. You you can't just play video games all the time and and live here. Sexual purity. If you want to have sex, get married. If you if you don't want to get married, at least leave my house. Um, substance abuse, I've even mentioned, you know, drug tests. And then there have to be consequences. I already quoted Proverbs 26.3. A whip for the horse, a bridle for the donkey, and a rod for the back of fools. That just talking like Eli did to an adult's child will not... Create a response unless they're believers, most likely, and there have to be some kinds of consequences. You can't spank them. It doesn't always mean the ultimate consequence of kicking them out, but, uh, and then you may need to be creative. I've already mentioned you will pay, sometimes you'll start paying this much rent to live here, or you know, you'll pay for you know, the hours you didn't work. I had a real case of a family, actually, Thompson Ashley, they know this family. But they had a son who was about to finish college, and he was the son was a go-getter, so I mean, he was working and doing all kinds of stuff, but pretty selfish. And he would come home late at night, and my friend, whose son it was, was a kind of guy that likes to go to bed early and get up early and uh, wants his house to be in order, and so... As I remember what happened, uh, they had a conflict because what would happen is a son would come stumbling into the house midnight or later and make a lot of noise coming in, wake up my friend, um, and my friend might come out then and confront him for disturbing the peace. If not, then my friend would come downstairs after he wakes up at 5 a.m., And the lights are all on and there's a mess in the kitchen and then what are you doing? and go wake up the sun has only been asleep for a couple of hours. It wasn't laziness on the part of the sun, it was rudeness. And they would have they would yell. And I just suggested as a concrete thing, why don't we say that if he wakes you up, if he makes enough noise to wake you and your wife up, it's twenty five bucks. If he leaves the door unlocked, fifty bucks. A dollar per light left on. In California, exp- electricity is four times more expensive than North Carolina and Texas. So you say lights, no big deal. Yeah, I used, my kids used to say, when they leave the lights, i 'll say, pennies are dropping out of the ceiling when you leave the light. Well, in, in California, quarters are dropping out of the ceiling when you leave your lights on. Um, and so they actually made that arrangement, and my friend never collected a dollar because <laughs> this guy loved money. And actually, sometimes I think, Rather than yelling and nagging, just saying these are the terms can be less of a conflict. Um, there are circumstances where you have a son who's been abusing substances and drug test, And even to say, if you want to live here, you need to get counseling. Even if it's not, you know, if you're not a Christian, I can't make you become a Christian, but I can make you deal somehow with the problem. And then you have to be prepared to let them go. There's a book by Dave Harvey you know, he's well known for having written the book, When Sinners Say I Do. He's got another book he co-authored called Letting Go. And like the other books I've mentioned, uh, the, the audios are on the IVCD website. And But in the book Letting Go, he, he uses the illustration of the prodigal son, but he's just getting to the point, you have some people in your, there will be family relationships where all you can do is let them go. And that could be a spouse who's repeatedly adulterous. It could be, or abusive. It could be a child who keeps running after drugs and alcohol and, you know, irresponsibility, where your mission in life can't be to save them because money and effort won't save them. You just have to let them go and experience the consequences, which the prodigal son story does illustrate that part. I've had people with adult kids who were just overwhelmed with guilt because for all their efforts, the kid was not changing. And I had them listen to the audios by Dave and it helped them so much to realize I'm not responsible for these wicked choices my child is making and my money and my pleas are not going to change anything. It's hard to do. And they may make choices that break your heart, but you can't control that. And so sometimes you have to let go. Um, in terms of what do you do when they get in trouble, I'll cover that fairly briefly. Um, I've already mentioned, they can be, I mean, this is another aspect of adult kids. It's like sometimes when they were teenagers, they'd get in your face. The adult kids I see who are kind of at home and shouldn't be are kind of charming because they probably know if they push things too hard, you will kick them out. So they especially might kind of bond and connect with moms some and you know, when they get in trouble, uh, it so said well, their problem becomes your problem and you can help me. And I've literally said, well, if you were in trouble, I would help you. You know, we're a family. And, uh, that's, that's the line I'm hearing. Um, sometimes parents, out of fear, aren't willing to let them have the consequences. We need wisdom. I think that's where counsel can really come in. I'm still seek. I, this week, I talked to, Biblical counseling, friend of mine, we kind of counsel each other about challenges I face. I have a 35-year-old son who's living in my house that we left in San Diego and paying a fraction of the rent and not living responsibly, in my opinion. And how do I deal with this? There are two grandchildren living there. and uh, So seek counsel, because when we're in the middle of it emotionally, it's very hard to um, know what to do. Um, But then we don't want to enable a sinful lifestyle. And, you know, help isn't always making things better. And sometimes you have children with an entitlement mentality. Um, So there's a chapter in the book like if your house becomes a halfway house. Let's say you have the daughter who ran away, live with the drug dealer. She wants to come home because the drug dealer was abusing her. And one says, I'm really glad for you to come home, but you've got to realize if you're going to come home, you still have to live by our rules. We're not expecting you to be the most godly Christian missionary candidate or something, but even as an unbeliever, we have rules in our family and you have to follow them. And if you're not willing to follow them, you can't come home. You know, if they've wrecked their lives financially, then you're going to be accountable for your money. If if you're drugs and alcohol, you're going to be drug tested or you're going to be accountable for your... I mean, halfway houses regulate your time and your money, and it's hard to get in a lot of trouble if you have no time and no money. And and they say, well, you're not treating me like an adult. So, great, go on your own. (laughs) Find a better deal. If you can find a better deal, by all means, take it. But you wouldn't be coming back unless you were having trouble in adulthood and you need need some parenting. Um, It can be really hard to stand your ground. Uh, The guy I mentioned who's... His parents had actually arranged, he's got some alcohol problems, the guy that's in his late 20s. They had arranged and he had agreed to go to a Christian kind of rehab camp ministry the last minute he pulled out. I understand it's so hard for the parents to be strong in that situation. And, and the guy's a nice guy. When I met with him, couldn't have been a nicer counselee. He's just a sluggard and a drunkard. Everything else is fine, um, but charming. And I, I, I have compassion. It's really hard, but you're, you're not helping um, postponing adulthood. Um, I will not say much about financial help. There's some in the outline in the book. I will say, there, we do a couple things I'll mention, and now I'm in this latter stage of life with adult kids. I don't think the Bible requires you treat all your kids equally with finances. You have one who's a missionary in Somalia, and another one who's an investment banker in Manhattan, A, needs more help than B. Then you have a third who's a drunkard and a sluggard. If you give him money, he'll just... I I saw a case, actually, again, many years ago in our church where a guy was struggling with meth addiction, and he inherited $50,000, which would be like three times that today, and he blew through it in less than a year, and he actually damaged his brain and had symptoms of schizophrenia. So giving him $150,000 was like the worst thing they could have done. And so... It also could be a point of tension. I mean, some families too. It's like, okay, we're going to help you with an education, which could help you provide for your family in the future. Or there's a family in our church, a young couple. Father, rather than waiting till I die, I'm going to help you with a down payment in a house. So there could be good financial help. There also could be jealousy. I mean, Jesus has right, one of his parables is after a guy says, make my brother share my inheritance. So it's challenging. I think you need to explain things, be open. But you're not required, you know, you're not. You can be a blessing, um, and you're not required to be completely equal. the The biggest challenge that keeps coming up is with reference to courtship and marriage. And now I'll just deal with uh, heterosexual issues. I mean, i I mean, now some people say, "Look, if if my daughter was living with a guy, not married, that would be better than what I'm dealing with now." That's not a good thing, but. Um, You know, again, in the homeschool culture in which I grew up, or our kids grew up, and we raised our kids, there was a lot of teaching and courtship, and girls, you know, 12, 13-year-old girls, daddy would give them a promise ring, and she would promise never to even date a guy or marry a guy unless daddy approved. And the the idea of parental control was, and by the way, homeschool parents, homeschool because they want control. It's not all bad, but that's what they're doing, it is... I want to control what my child does and what they're exposed to, and we have responsibility, but it can be excessive. And so you have this dream of parents: okay, we've got our little girl, and one day, you know, Dad's going to walk her down our virgin daughter down the aisle to meet her virgin fiancé, and he's already got a good job, and they're going to buy a house mile away, and we 're going to help raise the grandkids, and we 're going to be in the same church, and that 's the dream okay and maybe some of you are living that dream and i 'm just happy for you I, 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 I can I can rejoice with you, but a lot of us don 't get our dream. I think a lot of times parental reaction in these situations is they 're angry they don 't have control they 're angry they don 't have their dream I believe. From my understanding, has already talked about adult children are making their own choices that we as parents can't control. And there's two sides of it. I genuinely believe an adult child has the right to choose who to marry without the parents having control over that. I also believe that if an adult child has a great relationship with their parents, they'll listen to their parents. I know of cases where, in one case, a girl was dating a guy, and the guy was staying over you know, from out of town in the house. The dad caught the guy looking at porn in the house of his almost fiancé. And that didn't go well for him. And the dad said, I know you care about this guy, but I'm concerned about his character. I can't make you do anything. And she broke up. And So if you have a great relationship with your child, but even then you're an advisor, you're not a controller. And so I've seen cases where you have a great relationship and you can say, I have these concerns. But there's also kind of a warning is that when somebody thinks they're in love, and you start challenging that, what is the reaction going to be? Fierce! (laughs) And sometimes I believe biblically, even in, you know, it's not my kids, but it's other people I'm counseling, I have to warn them. I've got a case I'm supervising right now where a person professing to be a Christian is with someone who's not a Christian. And I've told the person I'm supervising, no matter how mad it makes her, you have to tell her from the Bible how wrong this would be. Either she's not a Christian or if she is a Christian, and she's not going to like it, apart from the work of the Spirit. But you know, we have to say these things, but we can't control these things. But I've had so many cases. I had a real case where it's actually people involved in the goth. I have not had that much exposure to the Gothard organization in my life, but those are the cases that keep coming to mind. had a family who was very involved with Gothard, and it's interesting that their daughter, you no, know, their son, and the daughter of another Gothard couple, were actually working in the organization, fall in love, they want to get married. And for some reasons, the parents of the daughter decided they didn't like the idea. They let it go on for a while, they decided they didn't like it. And so they determined when the couple was going in with the wedding, and the parents who were in our church decided, we're not sure they're ready, but if that's their decision, we're going to try to be supportive and help them make it work. And the parents of the girl said, we're not going to the wedding, and we're going to shun them until they repent. And they actually had kind of a confrontation, uh, intervention. And I got invited by the, parent, the church people from our, our church. And there were like four couples in a circle. And they were all holding notebooks that weren't the Bible. And they were admonishing this couple to shun their son and not go to the wedding. And they would be shunned if they did go to the wedding and they're being disloyal to their friends who don't approve of the wedding. Now, there's no issue of whether they're both Christians or, you know, from my standpoint, whether they're biblically free to marry. Um, and the saddest thing of many sad things is these couples went around the room, and each couple said, yeah, when our daughter got married, it was hard, but we didn't go. And we haven't talked to her now. It's been five years. But it's like, it's like we're martyrs for standing up for the right thing. And they each went around. They were all completely estranged from their kids because... They had to shun him. Um, I don't think the Bible requires that. I think we have the freedom to say if we have a concern. I would also add, though, back to if your daughter is interested in a guy you're not crazy about, I'm pretty sure she knows that already. That's back to if you keep telling her over and over and over again, I don't think that's going to prove the relationship. There can be some situations, believer-bearing unbeliever, you have to go at that a lot stronger, or horrible character or whatever. Probably, though, if she's attracted to an unbeliever, maybe she's not a believer. I mean, again, each situation has its own details. But I've I've had had another case I can tell you where there was a, a young man who's actually a young military officer in Pensacola, Florida, and he meets a girl who's at the college there, from a fundamentalist family, and he is a gentleman, and he talks to the dad, may I date your daughter? Yes, you may. And, and it's moving towards engagement, and then the dad finds out that this young man is a Calvinist. And this guy is a five-point King James-only Arminian, the dad. And, it's, and and not only that, the daughter's been corrupted because now she's a Calvinist. <laughs> and I think they started going to reformed church. And this guy said, "I'm using my." And there's actually, I could do seven of these without having to look at my notes of all these times these things have happened. But this, there's just it's the father's. There's an article online still, I think, is the father's right to choose who his daughter will marry or son. It goes both ways, probably. And in these cases, we do everything we can to try to get the parents and the children talking to each other and you know, delay, see if we can work things out. But I think they had the right to get married. And the father even let them get right up to engagement, then all of a sudden, poof, and his daughter's heart is knit to this man. And so the day before the wedding, the father calls me. He was in Michigan. I'm in California. And he basically, you know, pleaded his case that I'm the father, I have the right, and was... um, and then he called all the curses of the Old Testament on me if I perform the wedding. And I tried to, st- I, it's a Colossians 3, fathers don't exasperate your children. Now your daughter's making a choice, the, and she's marrying a godly man, but she's making a choice that she's free, to, and you don't want to destroy your relationship. Now, I say this with some hesitancy, but ironically, a few years later, this guy died young of a wasting disease. <laughs> I'm not saying the curses bounced off of me onto him. Um, But there are so many of these cases. And and even if it was true, which I don't think it is, that you have the right to determine who your child marries, if you don't have their heart, they're not going to pay attention to you anyway. And if you you tell your 25-year-old daughter that because she put on a ring when she was 12 and you took her on a daddy date, and now she can't marry the guy she's already given her heart to, because of a decision she made when she was 12. If you don't have her heart, she's going to blow you off anyway. <laughs> um, and again, it's, it's in the realm of persuasion. And again, I want to say positively: in the ideal situation, both families are happy, the, the way the weddings are designed. Here they are standing there. We, you know, we all give, we're all for this. That's the ideal. But, you know, I've had situations where even you don't approve, but you can at least go to the wedding. And once they're married, you make it work. Um, And I've seen... But I think part of it is a lot of times people are so upset. Like if it was their friend's kid, they probably would go to the wedding. But their dream is being shattered. And if it's because you're angry because your dream is being shattered, that is not a valid reason not to go. And I'll also say that the decision you're making to shun them at the wedding or even afterwards, is going to affect your relationship with your daughter, perhaps for the rest of your life. It's going to affect access to your grandchildren for the rest of your life. Now, if the Bible requires certain things, I mean, you may have to say things that you don't like. That's the next talk. But I don't think the Bible requires that you shun. I don't think the Bible requires that you um, refuse to have anything to do with them. And they, by the way, if you show up... (laughs) They know what you think, okay? They're going to realize you're there to make the best of a situation that's heartbreaking for you. They'll, hopefully they'll appreciate that. So you want to pursue peace. Um, and we're free to love those who have hurt us and sinned against us as God shows love to us. Um, and so, you know, people have different experiences with their adult kids. And um, I I have friends who have, you know, adult kids who are all walking with the Lord. And again, I'm really happy. God shows blessing to family. These family baptisms in Acts, I think they were all believers, no babies in my opinion. But you you have God-saving families in the Bible sometimes. And we can rejoice. But some of us go through struggles. And that doesn't mean that God loves us less. Um, And we want to be faithful to him in these trials to honor him. And, as I've said already, to seek to reflect His love when it's hard. I've actually got three minutes left this time. I didn't use all my time very well, but if anybody wants to ask a quick question before the break, or whatever, there's no quick question. If anyone wants to ask a question before the break, I'll take that, otherwise I can give you your break. Okay, let me pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that though we have been wayward, that you still love us. I pray for the many questions and struggles many people would have, including perhaps people in this room and difficult situations. You tell us if we lack wisdom in our trials that we should ask of you. and You will give uh, without holding back generously, and yet only to those who seek your wisdom single-mindedly. Help us not to be double-minded, listening to the world and to your word, Help us to be ready to do what your word says, even if it's hard for us. Help us to act wisely, but also in spite of their sin, have mercy upon our children. We pray in Jesus' name. And we ask also that you would strengthen our faith in our trials. We pray, amen.